Welcome to the Branches podcast. Branches is a community of faith, hope and love in the South Orange County. We are a church for people who don't go to church. If you'd like to learn more about our faith or our community, visit our website at branchesoc.com. Good morning, everybody. Go ahead and find your seats. Please turn your mobile phone to the silent mode. Uh, I'm doing that myself. Uh, all right, well, little break in the rain. My name's John. Glad you guys are here with us at Branches this morning. Um, did you know we're still in a drought? <laughs> I don't know why this is coming to my head, but I was, uh, I was just curious because it was raining so much that I was, I was thinking, well, I should go look online because they'll know. And uh, <laughs> are we still in a drought? And it shows this map of California, and it's pretty interesting. It's like, the northwest part of California, totally fine. But then like you get down and, and it, it's like drought, major drought, severe drought, extreme drought, and then where we are, exceptional drought. We are in an exceptional drought still. Even with all this rain, it's exceptional. Uh, that's like, I, I just thought that was an interesting adjective. They ran out, of, like, they got so high, but then it got worse. They're like, I don't know what's after exceptional, but we're at exceptional right now. So anyway, um, if I can get ushers to pass out Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 14. Uh, in other news, we have a new president. Uh, there was a peaceful transfer of power. Except for those 95 people that were uh, arrested for breaking of Starbucks and McDonald's and the hospitalized police officers. Um, so peaceful except for that. And then, I don't, I mean, I don't know if Trump owned those restaurants or what, what it was that Starbucks did to the people that were parading, but um, I just thought it was so interesting. Like, as I watched the footage, it was like these guys in hoodies throwing bricks and breaking windows, and uh, whatever it is, it, to me it was like there's so much latent anger in our country that we don't know how to deal with. <laughs> and so people are marching, and there's like energy, and let's just break stuff, you know, and uh, McDonald's, I mean, come on, you know, <laughs> what did McDonald's do? Uh, there's an argument against that, but, uh, you know, <laughs> It's just interesting to be destructive, to, to lash out destructively at people that you say are intolerant, to be intolerant of people who are intolerant. <laughs> it's like the definition of irony. Anyway, we also had a march for women's rights the day after. You can cheer if you're a woman. Uh, nobody's for women's rights. That's okay. That's no. It's okay. It's okay. Uh, but apparently the turnout for that was greater than the turnout for the inauguration. Really just interesting things happening in our world right now, and a lot of sides. I wasn't going to say anything about this, but we like to take sides, and I'd say there's not been a time more recently where things have been more polarized, and we want to pick a side and defend that side, and we're on the right side, and 
And I'm just thinking about how Jesus, at the, at the beginning of his ministry with the disciples, he takes them to the other side of the lake, and they meet this man who's possessed, and basically the other side's like, you need to get out of here. Uh, but it's just interesting. You follow Jesus, he'll take you to the other side. So no matter what side you're on, you're going to eventually end up on the other side and learning from the other side as well. But let's look at what we have for today. We've been in this series uh, on, the, on passages of the Bible, and uh, I, I like to think of it as the well-worn passages or the underlined passages. These are the ones where you open up somebody who does a lot of Bible study, and these passages are all underlined a lot. So uh, I want you to know exactly where we're going today, so I'm going to give you a little map. So if we can go to the next slide, this is what's on tap for today. Uh, 35% on Rotten Tomatoes. I've heard this all before. Strolling on the sea in approximately 1 minute and 47 seconds. Believing in and believing like all talkie no walkie. And uh, that's just fun to say. Um, telling Jesus to go away and abandoning ship. So there's where we're headed. Uh, it's going to make sense, I promise. Well, I don't make any promises, but uh, that's where we're headed. So you'll know when I start talking about abandoning ship that we're getting close uh, to the end. So Let's go to 35% on Rotten Tomatoes. A movie came out in 2008 called Vantage Point. Uh, it, uh, maybe some of you saw it. This is old. This is Dennis Quaid, Matthew Fox from Lost, Forrest Whitaker with Sigourney Weaver and William Hurt. Um, it was this, it says at the bottom, a slick, explosive thriller that got 35% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, <laughs> But basically, it's about the President of the United States going to speak in Spain at like this anti-terrorism summit, and it, he gets like blown up. So kind of ironic again there. Uh, but what happens is there's a sequence of events, and it goes on for about 15, 20 minutes, and then all of us, and just where you're like starting to get somewhere in the story, it's like, and it rewinds all the way back to the beginning, but now you're going through the same exact story through someone else's eyes. And it's kind of weird because you get all the way to that point again and then it rewinds. You're like, come on, like, let's, where's this thing headed? Like, we're about to figure out who did it and why and how and who blew it up. And, and it starts over and you get another vantage point. It does this like six times. So by the end of it, you've either walked out or uh, you're like pulling your hair out, like, come on, man, like, just finish the story. <laughs> but the reason why I bring this up, this slick, explosive thriller, uh, is that uh, this next slide here. Um, I, I've heard it all before. Uh, and what I mean by that is I've sat through a lot of sermons. Anybody else sat through at least 300 sermons in their life? Yeah, see? There's some of you in here. 500. Do I have 500? 1,000 sermons. A thou I, I'm, I think I gotta be at 1,000 at least. And, uh, and here's the thing. I like, I've heard it all before. How many of you come place, go to places, go to church, show up here, and you're like, yeah, I remember this message. Um, or you read a passage of Scripture, you've already made up your mind about what that passage means. And so, like, I'm going to read a passage this morning, and it's going to be a familiar passage, because these are the underlined ones, these are the well-worn ones. And here's the thing, it's sometimes they're so familiar, and Boog has talked about this, uh, that familiarity breeds unfamiliarity. Basically, I know this one, you're so familiar with it that actually if I asked you some of the details, you'd be like, uh, 
I don't know. And that's how it is. I mean, we get so familiar that we actually don't really know what's going on in it. Uh, So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read this passage to you, and then we're going to look at it from three different vantage points. (laughs) We're going to rewind and go back through it again, but only three times, okay? (laughs) And I promise it won't take 20 minutes each. Um, Okay, so let's now go to the story of Jesus strolling on the sea. It's going to take approximately one minute and 47 seconds. Hang in there with me comes from Matthew 14, verses 22 through 36, and uh, I'm just going to read it right here. Immediately, Jesus, this is the he that they're talking about here, made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side. Again, there you have the sides again. I love that. While he dismissed the crowds. This is coming right after he just fed 5,000 people with uh, a sack lunch, basically. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up the mountain by himself to pray, Uh, He was probably doing this because his cousin had just been beheaded and he hadn't had time to really be on his own yet and was trying to just spend some time in prayer. Uh, When evening came, he was there alone, but by this time the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the wind was against them. So early in the morning, uh, like you do, he came walking toward them on the water, on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking On the sea, they were terrified, saying, insert your best expletive right here, four-letter word, but it's the Bible, so it is a ghost. Behold. (laughs) uh, Language would be different today is my guess. Um, And they cried out in fear, but immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Again, language is a barrier here for us. I'm not sure that that would be like super helpful to anybody <laughs> at that time. But, the, you know, in Jesus' day, this was the way they talked. So, uh, next slide. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So, Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, we'll come back to that, he became frightened and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Next slide. When they had crossed over, they came to the land at Gennesaret. After that, after the people of that place recognized him, they sent word throughout the whole region and brought all who were sick to him and, he, and begged him that they might touch even the fringe of his cloak. And all who touched it were healed. (sighs) Okay, so a lot going on in this passage. Uh, Again, we're going to look at it from three different vantage points. From one vantage point, it could be the story of Jesus walking on the water, Jesus strolling on the sea. Uh, But that only captures part of the story. It could be the story of Peter getting out of the boat and walking on the water. That also only captures part of the story. Uh, It could also be a story about the disciples staying in the boat and worshiping Jesus. There are a number of different titles we can give to the passage, but we're going to look at three that I think if we look at all three, maybe it'll help open up the whole thing a little bit more in a new way. So before I get into the story and the perspectives, uh, I want to say that this story actually feels new to me (laughs) at this point in my life, and I've heard it for a 
a long time and a large portion of my life. So whether you're hearing it for the first or the hundredth or the thousandth time, uh, my hope is that it will be new to you in some way through one of these perspectives. Uh, walks on water, that whole thing, uh, this is where that idiom comes from. You know, like, uh, she thinks she walks on water. Uh, right here. Uh, this is the story, so a little history on language right there. Um, what I think, here's the thing. I like to think about like the scientific implications of this. You know, you know, I'm kind of a nerd about that stuff. But this idea that we only use 12% of our brain power, which has been enough to make it so we can take out a little device and talk to people in China through it. I'm wondering if like there's a way to like not have to use this thing. That's like where my mind starts to go. I know, it's a little weird, but um, we figured out some pretty amazing things. So I like to think about, oh, if we could just learn more about energy and atoms and all these kinds of things, like that we could just kind of like walk out there across to the other side where the Marine Institute is. Uh, anyway, a little aside, but why I say that is I think that this is more compelling to me than just being like a cool trick that Jesus does, okay? A lot of the time it was when I, when I previously have read the miracles, and it's not wrong to read them in this way, I, always, I, I would often come at them like, oh, he's so amazing, I could never do that, right? But I would argue that most of what Jesus is, is trying to bring us into is a life that he lived. Know that you could actually live in this way. And in another passage, it actually says he intended to pass by them. It's the same story recorded, but it says he intended to pass by them, but they kind of spotted him, right? And I'm thinking, well, maybe he wanted to get by them because he's like, they're not ready for this, <laughs> you know? This level of humanity, they're not actually ready for. The things that they don't even know how amazing this world could be if they just believed, right? So I just, I just wonder, just think about that. I think Jesus is kind of showing Peter and the other disciples that, hey, this is just the beginning of the possibilities, this is just the beginning, but you guys haven't even figured out how to stop killing each other, so we're, we're not going to get to the whole walking on water thing yet. Um, but let's look at the, the first perspective, uh, Jesus, and I'll, this is Jesus' perspective, and I'm, I'm going to like, what I want to talk about is believing in and believing like, okay? That could be the sermon right there, and we could close in prayer, but I'm going to try and tease it out a little bit more. So uh, here's what I mean by that. Uh, after spending the better part of the evening in prayer, he, he, he kind of straightens himself up as my guess, and he looks out, and he sees the disciples, because the Sea of Galilee is really a lake. It's just a lake. And so he's looking out on it, and I'm thinking, like, I've been out at, you know, like Lake Mead or Lake Shasta and these places, and you can see boats, like, pretty far away, and especially like a little rowboat, <laughs> you know, a fishing boat that they're just, like, at the oars, and it's... You know in boats, if it's not a big enough boat or a strong enough boat, that when the chop comes up, especially on Mead, if you've ever been on Lake Mead when the wind comes up and there's like three-foot swells and you're in a little tiny ski boat, you, you do not want to be out there, you know, and you're kind of thinking, this thing's going under. Uh, and I can just imagine someone's hiked up to a peak and they're like, look at that ski boat. <laughs> it's never going to make it. Um, and so I wonder about Jesus, but he's, he just sets out on foot, on foot, uh, on foot, across, on foot across the water, uh, like you do, and he catch, catches up with the disciples. But here's the thing, he, he moves about the world in a different way. And I would say, yes, he does move about the world in a different way, 
emotionally and spiritually and with faith. But he moves about in a physical way differently as well, would you agree? There's, it, it was evening and the disciples were gathered together and the doors were locked for fear of the Jews. This comes in John. And then Jesus all of a sudden stands in their midst. There's some way that, there's times when the crowds pressed in on him, but he, man, to, in order to, to try and kill him, and it just says he, then he slipped through the crowd and he was gone. There's some way that Jesus moves about the world that we don't quite understand. There was, there was this time where he was starving and he sends the disciples to go get food and they come back and he's like, they're like, you should eat something. He says, I have food you don't know about. What, did you give him something to eat? I can give him something to eat. And, uh, so he, his physicality is even different in a way. But my argument is that he's fully human. We're made in his image. I only wonder when he says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, that he is saying, this is how the dance looks. I am showing you what it looks like to be human, fully human, bearing the image of God. So, Jesus' perspectives, the disciples spot Jesus, they think he's a ghost. Uh, Just a quick side note, the sea in Jesus' day represented chaos, the dark, the deep, in the beginning of Genesis, the poet writes, they write, the world was dark and formless and void and there was a darkness over the face of the deep, you know, and the Spirit of God hovered over it. And it's, it's this sense that in their day, the water was a dangerous, scary, unknown, mystical place that you didn't want to be in, right? Uh, so for Jesus to be sort of standing on top of it is a big deal. Uh, huge deal. Uh, you might see like a stand-up paddleboarder, but that's not the same thing. Um, and he says, take courage at his eye, or guys, hey, mellow out, it's cool. Um, if we were, you know, if it were like he were talking to some Dana Point fisherman, he'd be like, guys, 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 it's cool. It's going to be okay. Uh, and I think if I was in Jesus' position, and this is why uh, I'm not the Messiah, uh, <laughs> I would have messed with him for sure. <laughs> I would have totally messed with the disciples, um, but he doesn't. He, he uh, goes straight to their fear in order to relieve it. And uh, he, I would just say he sees us at our core, Jesus does, and then he sees that fear and then he wants to relieve it. But then one disciple makes an odd request. I would argue this is an odd request because in the, in the other account of this story, it was that he intended to pass by because I think... In his mind, he's thinking they're not ready for this. But one disciple says, hey, if it is you, tell me to come to you on the water. And I think Jesus is like, whoa, really? I mean, he says, come, one word. But I think if, if I'm understanding the context of the passage, I think Jesus is kind of more thinking, yeah, like it's on. This guy, this guy thinks he can do it. He believes like I believe. Yeah. And I, I don't know, we don't have documentation, so we're away, away from the text here. But my hunch is, like, Jesus is cheering <laughs> as Peter is walking. That's my hunch. And I don't know what the disciples are doing. We're going to get to that in their perspective. But if I'm coming from Jesus' perspective, and I've got a disciple walking toward me on the water, I'm thinking, yes, yes. Yes, this is, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about right there. 
we'll get to the other disciples in the boat, but oh man, I just think Jesus isn't, Jesus isn't trying to give an object lesson about how he's so much greater than we are. If anything, the verses you read about him is he humbled himself. He made himself lower. He came down. All these sorts of things. It wasn't that he said, yeah, sure, Peter. And he gave like a side look to the guys in the boat like, watch this. You know, and he gets out and Peter just sinks, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> Peter, you can't be like me. I'm the Messiah. No, 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 no. Stay and worship me. Okay? No. He invites Peter into the life that he's living, right? Into his reality. Even though, from our perspective, and we'll get to it, it's impossible, right? It's impossible. So Jesus moved about the world in a different way. And I would argue, he wakes up every morning believing things. I never really thought about this until recently, but Jesus believed things, right? Like we believe things. And I would argue that we get so caught up in believing in Jesus that we forget to believe like Jesus. We tend to believe in Jesus all day long. Every Sunday we come here and we believe in Jesus. But when are we believing like Jesus? Do you hear the difference? See, I like to nerd out on science, like I said, and I like to believe that maybe walking on water is humanly possible. Maybe forgiving is humanly possible. Maybe showing mercy is humanly possible. See, we, we tend to differentiate between things that are possible and the things that are impossible, the things that we can understand and the things that we can't understand. And I would argue most of us can't even understand this. We come to it at our core and we're like, I just don't get it. I, I don't get it. That's impossible. Or forgiveness. I, I come to it and I just think, there's no way I can forgive that person. It's not going to happen. It's impossible. And yet then we throw out walking on water. We throw out healing people. We throw out food that came from nowhere. We throw out all this other stuff because we can make sense of that somehow. That's not possible. We've already decided. <laughs> but I think Jesus is walking through this world saying, let me just show you what's possible. Let me just show you what's possible with me. With me. With just you, not possible. With me, there's at one point where he says, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. What's he saying there? He's saying it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. That's what he's saying. And they say, then who can be saved? And what does he say? Well, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. It's easier for something that we see as impossible then for something that we would say is possible, well, it's possible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. That's possible. I can see that. <laughs> Not without God. Peter cries out, 
Once again, Jesus, being the bigger man than I am, reaches down, saves Peter, doesn't reprimand him in the middle of his failure, like, no, 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 hey, oh, man. This is like how I would be with my girls, you know. Hey, can you not, can you put that, can, put, it, put it down, put it down, da- put it down, you know. <laughs> and they just keep misbehaving the whole way through. Uh, he's not like that. He's just kind of like, oh, why did you doubt? You were there. You were there. You were right there. And then it says they, uh, the disciples, he gets in the boat, the wind is gone, and the disciples make this sort of obvious statement, like, you certainly are the son of God. And, uh, and then they arrive at the other site. So, where are you in the story from Jesus' perspective? Are you in the boat? At the oars? against a contrary wind? Are you, like Peter, itching to get out of the boat and do what Jesus is doing? It's, it's just interesting to think about we can do all things through Christ, that idea. Uh, with, God, with man, this is impossible. And when I take that verse and I say we can do all things through Christ, it's pulled out of context, but I really believe that there is this way of moving through the world where just reconciliation is possible. Maybe that hate could be driven out. Maybe we could forgive a little bit more and love a little bit more. Let's get to the disciples rewinding back to the story, the beginning of the story. They're in the boat. They're struggling all night at the oars. They're going ahead of Jesus. They have no idea how he's going to catch up to them or how he's going to get there, but he made them get into the boat and go away, so he went away. This is my all talky, no walkie perspective here. And uh, remember, when he shows up on the water, they haven't read this story yet, <laughs> right? This is, this is what I always forget. Like, oh, the disciples, they haven't read this yet. They don't know what's, how this is all going to turn out. <laughs> uh, they're just experiencing it in real time. And so, here's the thing. I want to focus on the fact that the disciples stay in the boat, okay? Um, See, I've talked to people who don't buy into the whole miracle thing. They're just like, I can't can't do the miracles thing. I can't do the water into wine. I can't do the walked on water, all that sort of thing. And uh, here's what what I think. Have Have you ever seen a body contortionist? They're called like yoga instructors, or, uh, um, th- but I've seen these. I mean, now you can see these people that just like twist themselves with all kinds of weird things, and you know I could barely touch my toes, and uh, and I just think when I first saw like a contortionist at the circus, I was like, that's just not human. They're you know like in some sort of pretzel deal where they're like nibbling on their toes from like behind their head or something, and I'm just that's just not right, you know. And uh, I wonder if when Jesus does miracles like this, again, he's simply showing us that this is what humanity could be like. This is what it could be like. That peace could really happen, that forgiveness could really be available to you, that fullness and joy and centeredness and kindness, this is all possible. Anyway, they're in the boat. Peter calls out, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. And what were the disciples thinking? Like, Peter, what are you doing, man? No, 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 no. How do we know we're not all hallucinating? 
How do we know this is real? You know, what do you do? Don't get out. If you get out into the, the, the formless, void, deep, dark of the water, you may sink and it's windy and we can't really see all that well because it's the middle of the night and we might just lose you. And that's going to not be awesome. Where are you going? Here's, here's my uh, little story for this one. Have you ever been with someone when they're trying something for the first time? I used to take groups of students to Lake Mead and Lake Shasta and do wakeboarding and water skiing. Have you ever been with someone when they're trying to water ski or wakeboard for the first time and there's like a million professors in the boat and one student in the water? And, uh, and it's like, you just hear all these things shouted out, like, let the boat pull you up. What else is going to pull me up? You know, um, it, you know, sit in a chair position, fold your, like, keep your arms straight, bring your arms in, turn your head to the left. You know, like, there's like a million different, you know, wink your left eye and, you know, shout three times. And, you know, there's all these sorts of ideas and, and advice that people give as you're trying to get that person up for the first time. And I had one particular student, is, we'll just call him uh, Mark. And Mark uh, had never wakeboarded, and he's, he's out there, you know, and they're way back there, <laughs> you know, they're like way back there, you feel all alone, everybody's in the boat, you can't hear what they're saying, they're probably talking about you, and, uh, and then you hit it, and he's down, and he's down, and he's down, and he's being dragged, and we're like, let go of the rope, don't let it just drag you through the water, you know, and he's down again, and he's down, Get, finally, like, after, literally, after the crowd is given up on their advice, you know, like, for the first, like, six times, everybody's got a new piece of advice, and then, like, when it gets into, like, the double digits, you're just kind of like, well, let's just, like, wait till he's worn out, and then bring him back into the boat, <laughs> you know, uh, but Mark was persistent, and uh, he finally gets up for, like, maybe six seconds, like, one, two, three, four, five, you know, and then they're just gone. They don't even know how to fall right. You know, it's just, they disappear uh, into a big splash. And the boat, what, erupts, right? Just, everybody's freaking out because Mark is on top of the water, right? What are they doing in the boat? We have no, we have no idea. But if I'm in the boat and I'm at least not man enough to get out, I hope I'm erupting in the boat when Peter steps out on the water. Like, what? <laughs> I've never seen that before except for like 20 seconds ago with Jesus. <laughs> this is the second time I've seen this ever. <laughs> Peter is walking on the water. I would hope that we're erupting. And here's what I wonder. Why is there not like a line? You know, like there's a line when, when you're wakeboarding and, wake, and surfing behind the boat and skiing. It's like, I'm up next. I'm up next. I'm up next. There's like the eager people that are like, there's the other people that are like, I'll wait my turn. Why, why are they not all shuffling out of the boat? There's, nothing, there's no rope you need to wait for. There's Jesus. You just get out. I'm in too. Let's do this. I would argue because it's so much easier and more comfortable to believe in Jesus than it is to believe like Jesus. It's really easy to stay in the boat and start riding. Oh my gosh, I'm really doing this. Uh, like, 
Oh, Jesus, he walks on water. You know, it's, you could, oh, that was awful. Why did I even think about doing that? But <laughs> you could be in the boat writing an awful worship song about Jesus walking on the water, or you could be walking on the water. And I would argue we're much more comfortable with sitting in the boat and writing a, 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 an amazing worship song <laughs> than getting out and doing it. Do we need to believe in Jesus? Absolutely. Absolutely. Do we need to believe like Jesus? Yes. Yes. At the end of it, they say what? You certainly are the son of God. I wonder if they said that in a little bit of shame. Like, you certainly are the son of God. The, the feeding of the 5,000 with two fish and five loaves of bread wasn't enough for you? Turning water into wine wasn't enough for you? But now he's standing on the face of the deep. They're just constantly running up against things that they're like, is he more powerful than this? Is he more powerful than that? Can he overcome this? Even the wind and the waves obey this guy. Some people, it just takes longer. It takes longer. And we give Peter a lot of, of a hard time. <laughs> if, you're, if you're a student of the church and the Bible, Peter often gets a bad rap. And... Uh, Here's one place where I think, man, he is so far ahead of the game, he got out of the boat. All talky, no walkie. <laughs> Let's go to the last perspective here. This is uh, Peter's perspective. Rewinding all the way back, Peter is an expert fisherman. This is abandoned ship here, so the winds aren't cooperating, it's choppy, they aren't getting anywhere. And then someone spots Jesus. He spots Jesus. Someone spots him. They all see him, and Peter sees him. Jesus says, take courage, it's me. And Peter does a crazy thing, and it just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And you have to know Peter. So let me give you just a short history on Peter. When Peter has his first major experience like this with Jesus in a boat, if you remember, his boat becomes full of fish. After a long night of fishing, no luck, Jesus says, let's go out and throw the nets in. They throw the nets in, and they pull in this huge catch so that the boat is sinking. And Peter's like, his words are, get away from me, Jesus. Go away. Jesus, go away. That was one of the points. Jesus, go away from me. Get out of here. Then he spent some time with Jesus. Now what is Peter saying? If it's you, tell me to come over to you. And Jesus says, yeah, it's me. It's on. Come on. Let's do this. Get out of the boat. 
It wasn't that he saw Jesus and then even had further shame and I have no, no. Wow, Jesus, you're amazing, but I just can't be near you. I can't think like that. I can't believe like that. Peter spent some time and he went all the way from depart from me for I am a sinful man to tell me to come over to you. I'm in. I'm in. I love that. He sees Jesus doing something. He has this crazy idea. Maybe I could believe like him and do the things that he does. Do we really understand the magnitude of that command? Because Jesus is commanding Peter, come, it's a command to do the impossible. To do the impossible. As far as we know, the Apostle Paul never walked on water. It wasn't something the disciples were expecting to be able to do. But Jesus commands Peter to do the impossible. Aren't there times in your life when you feel like you've encountered Jesus and he's asking you to do something that you feel is impossible? What do you do? How could I ever forgive that person? How do you expect me to show them mercy or grace? How am I supposed to develop a good prayer when everything's so disorganized and crazy in my life right now? Well, as the story goes, Peter gets out of the boat, and guess what? He takes some steps that actually look like Jesus. He puts his foot over the side and starts walking. And I say it rather nonchalantly because I think that's how normal Jesus intends it to be. But then it hits him, right? It hits him. A strong, he, it says he's noticed a strong wind. Really, Peter? Like, what have you been doing for the last several hours? Right? You've been in the middle of a storm, get against a, a contrary wind, and it says, oh, he noticed a strong wind. Like, oh my goodness, it's windy out here. <laughs> right? Like, I've heard this story so many times, but if you just think about what's being written here, Peter noticed that it was windy all of a sudden. <laughs> In many of the translations I, I read, it says he saw the wind. When was the last time you saw wind? We don't see wind, right? Other translations added in, wind in the waves, right? Waves is not in there, but they want to make sense out of it. So I actually think they misinterpret that word saw. And I like our translations because it says he noticed a strong wind. And this is what I'm trying to say here. Sometimes we're moving about life the way Jesus would move about life, and then all of a sudden it hits us. This is impossible. I think that uh, there's that great um, sermon called The Matrix. It was back in 1999, and uh, it's an old movie now, almost 20 years old. Uh, in that movie, there's an alternate world where your mind kind of makes things real or not real, and the main character, Neo, has a guide, Orpheus, who says, you need to free your mind, let go of the fear, the doubt, and uh, then he proceeds to run from the top of one giant skyscraper and jump like 50 yards across to the top of the other one. And Neo is there, he's free, free your mind, free your mind. And he runs and he jumps and he makes it like 25 yards. 
And then he looks down, and all of a sudden, it hits him like a strong wind. This is not possible. Did he lose faith in what Morpheus had just done, his guide? No. And here's what I want to say. In this passage, we often interpret it, Peter took his eyes off Jesus. That's not actually in the text. And so he began to sink. And we've often heard it preached, don't take your eyes off Jesus or you're not going to be able to walk on water. No. Jesus is standing there. Fine. There's no, no faith to be lost in Jesus at that point. There's only, there's only the realization that this is impossible. I can't do this. And so he starts to sink. And so Neo starts to fall, 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 fall all the way down. He stopped believing like Jesus. What the wind did was snapped him back to his own believing that this is not what humans do. Here's the thing. I wonder if we often, too often dismiss the possibilities with Jesus like healing and walking on water, forgiveness, kindness, compassion, uh, that these could only be things that Jesus, that we can do when Jesus is around. But Jesus isn't here anymore. Here's the thing. Jesus said, I'm going to leave my spirit. Most of us would argue that God is in all places, omnipresent. So is it that it's not possible because of what's not possible with him, or is it not possible because it's not possible with us? We believe in him, yes, and we sing the worship songs, but do we believe like him that we could move through this world differently? And I'm just going to close with this. Here's the thing. I don't think that this story is about how great Jesus is at walking on water and that we should worship him for that. That can be part of it, certainly. But I'm not sure that that's why they chose to include this story. Like, look at this cool thing he did. Or you would have just said, oh, there was one time when Jesus walked on the water, Peter tried too, but he only got a little ways and then he fell. They teased this story out in so many ways. Peter was able, it's not just that Peter was able to do something that Jesus did for a little time and then he failed. It was that Jesus was inviting Peter to believe like him. What if it's just a small example of what it looks like to believe like Jesus? Not just in like Jesus. If we could somehow manage to walk on water, maybe we could somehow manage to not kill each other. To not throw bricks at our friends' businesses and places of employment. To not abuse each other. Maybe it's possible that we could stop subjugating others, that we could stop marginalizing people, that we could stop starving people. Maybe it's possible if we begin to believe like Jesus that we are all image bearers, We're all created in the image of God.
We all have inherent value of children of the king, as being children of his creation. We could learn how to love our neighbors. Live a life with less worry, less stress, more joy. I'm up for that. So here's the thing. I'm, I think Jesus is calling us to abandon ship in this sense. He wants our worship. I think it pleases him. But I think he's jumping up and down and cheering every time we begin to believe like him and step out of the boat. So my prayer is that you would leave here thinking about what would it look like to wake up in the morning believing all the same things that Jesus believed when he woke up in the morning. That forgiveness is possible. That kindness is possible. That joy is possible. That peace is possible. And then you begin to move through your world in a transformational way. Let's pray. Lord, we confess that we are far too good at staying in the boat and reciting lines like certainly you are God. And there's far too few of us swinging our leg over the side to start believing like you believe. So would you challenge us in your gentle way for those of us who are asking to come nearer to you, would you invite us, command us, and pull us up when we start to lose our footing? We want to believe like you, Jesus. We believe in you. Give us the courage to believe like you. It's in your name we pray.